me Famous scenes with drama queens and heroes Acted out there on the silver screen Come grab a seat, popcorn is on me Hello, welcome to Meet Me at the Movies. Noel T. Manning II here. Love spending time with you when we can talking about films uh, and cinema. And, and I got to say, I'm really happy to have Thomas Manning by my side celebrating his 22nd birthday this week. I, I think for a month. Is that how you do that? Oh, uh, yeah. Pretty much you got to commit to it and don't look back. If it's your, if your birthday, it's your birth week, it's your birth month. Yes. I mean, pretty much your birth, birth year, year at that so point. So you just keep so, celebrating. Yeah, yeah, just keep so, going so congratulations. Uh, and I know that at midnight on the, the evening of your birthday, or the midnight of the, the day of your birthday, anyway, how, well, however is the best way to say it, you were singing and dancing to Taylor Swift. Uh, now that does not sound like me, I don't no. know where you would get that idea. Um, that, there, there's not a video out there. That's that, what uh, I hear. Not, not that I know of. That's what I've seen. That's crazy. I've got to tell you, man, Greg Tillman agrees. He, I think he's seen it. And what I love about your dancing is your high kicks. You do these weird, you know, karate kid kicks when you dance, and that is just awesome. It's pure awesomeness. I don't have much flexibility when my legs are so long that it looks like they're going high. So, it really yeah, does. yeah. You look, you look like those. Uh, Remember those like, like dancing little dancing puppet things that were like wooden legs and the legs would go oh, yeah, up like the paddleboard. Yeah, the yeah, paddleboard. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly that. what yeah. you look like, man. Yeah. <laughs> He's the human paddleboard. Yeah. Is what those he is. were actually based off of my my physique. So, yeah. <laughs> well, well, happy uh, happy birthday, man. Uh, glad to have you joining us. And Greg Tillman, uh, back there, he was trying to work on some kind of cool uh, intercom system, ear intercom system, so we could talk to each other. But uh, we didn't have a chance to try it out. Uh, so uh, maybe, maybe sometime uh, while we're still doing the show, who knows? Who knows? Uh, well, Thomas, we got a lot to cover, man. There's a lot of films out there that we haven't had a chance to talk about uh, in the past few weeks for, for various and, uh, and sundry reasons. Not really sundry reasons, but for various reasons. Uh, but we've got, if we get to them, like eight movies to talk about, which means we'll get to three. And we'll start <laughs> off. With, uh, with a new MCU film, The Eternals, uh, this is a Marvel's take uh, with an Oscar winner at the helm. Yeah, so this is Chloe Zhao. I believe this is only her third or fourth feature film, and she's known for doing just very small, intimate, uh, character-focused films. And, of course, she won last year Best Director, Best Picture for Nomadland with uh, Frances McDormand there at the helm. And... The Eternals could not be more different in, in some ways, but in other ways, it still has that very intimate focus of a Chloe Zhao picture. Yeah, yeah, there are definitely moments where you see her fingerprints on this film, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's Chloe. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as focusing on the character drama and the relationships amidst a massive cosmic backdrop, uh, well, an eternal backdrop, really. Uh, it's in the name, and it's, it's called that for a reason. Uh, I mean, that's the name of these characters, the Eternals, but that very much plays into their existence and just uh, that's perfect descriptor of how they kind of fit into the universe and the cosmos. Um, you know, we mentioned the Chloe Zhao effect. Uh, I think you really saw that in the first two-thirds of the film uh, when you have some phenomenal on-location shooting, uh, incredible use of natural lighting, probably some of the best-looking cinematography yeah. in the MCU. Um, and I'll say that's specifically for the first two-thirds, and maybe later on we'll get into... I think both of us had a few issues with the third act, uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah, it's a film, and it's one of those movies that you don't want to say too much about 
because I would say probably half an hour into it, some things start to happen that could be considered spoilers. But basically, uh, the Eternals have been on Earth for thousands of years, um, protecting humanity from the deviants. And the deviants are these uh, mythic animal-like creatures that can fly, that can swim, that can do all sorts of things. And that's the purpose of the Eternals. That's why they feel they are called to be here. That's their mission. Yeah, I mean, the deviants are like the absolute top of the apex predator food chain. You know, other apex predators, uh, you know, like alligators, would probably cower in fear at yes. the sight of a deviant. Yes. Um, so, then you know, there are mentions of the apex predator in particular, and that comparison is made. Um, and there are multiple mythologies that are working to this, mythologies from throughout human history and very many... Uh, different global religions yes. are examined in, through this lens of the MCU and all of that is combined with the mythology that we already know of the MCU and some pop culture, modern day contemporary pop culture. And all of that just in this really fascinating conglomeration of um, you know, something that you know, five years ago the MCU wouldn't have probably been this brave yeah, to do. I but agree. now they, have, they know exactly... The, the confidence they have instilled in themselves, and uh, that's why they can take big shots like this. Yeah, and this is a different kind of MCU film. If you're if you're going in expecting what you saw with with Endgame or with Guardians of the Galaxy, or, or even uh, you know Captain America, the Iron Man films, or Thor films, you may be disappointed because this is a different uh, approach. There's a lot of backstory uh, that unfolds through flashbacks. There's also uh, a very huge probably the most diverse international cast we've ever seen uh, on screen uh, as far as heroes are concerned. And that really, really impressed me. Yeah, that was a very beautiful thing to see. Uh, people from so many different ethnic backgrounds and uh, you know cultural backgrounds and all just there as a family, as a family unit working together. And uh, it really is a story about family and um, how there are conflicts within that, but how much you're willing to set aside your differences to come together to fight for a common purpose, or maybe you have different purposes that you think you're working toward. Um, and it's also a question, there are questions of identity and purpose. Yes. Um, yes. When you, know, you think you believe something your entire life, but then suddenly new information comes to light. And now how does that impact the way that you're approaching your goals and the way that you just live your life and just you know, really exist as, um, you know, I would say as a human being, but they are godlike figures, right. but they have very human-like qualities to them yeah, as well. I, I echo every one of those uh, aspects of, of thematic elements that were weaved through this, but also the element of, of faith is strong through this, as we mentioned before, looking at global religions, faith, um, belief in something beyond self, but also at odds um, what is destined compared to what is free choice and free will. Those themes run very, very strong through this. And I think, you know, if anybody wants to go in this and examine it almost from a, from a theological standpoint and ask questions, I think this will be a fascinating uh, study from, from really any, any type of religion. Yeah, I mean, another property in the MCU just recently we saw with Loki studied free will and, uh, you know, predestination, yes. how all that works together. But I'm not gonna say this was, you know, directly this was completely different from that right, in the way right. that it explored it. Exactly. Uh, it's not like you're seeing the same story twice in the MCU. They're just the, the environment in which that 
those themes and narratives are explored are uh, completely different. I applaud the MCU for finding different ways to uh, go about looking at similar questions, but just through different lenses each time. I appreciated the cinematography, uh, the sound design, the score. Um, I've already talked about, uh, about the characters and the backstories and the character arcs that we saw kind of unfold. But I did feel that this movie tried to do too much. I, I felt it was uh, it's very dense uh, as far as material. There's so much to try to take in. This is not a popcorn flick. Uh, it's one of those you're probably going to be thinking about and have to think about. So if you don't want to think about your MCU films, this may be one that you may want to steer clear from. Uh, I, we, we talked about that third act. That third act um, had a few issues, uh, especially some of the CGI uh, yeah. bothered me a bit. I, I think they could have done much better in the CGI. And I know that, that Chloe wants to do as many practical effects as you can, but in an MCU film, you can't just do practical effects, not in one like this, unless it's, well, Logan, for example, you can do a lot of practical stuff with going back to Logan. Yeah, I mean, that's really been a common complaint throughout the MCU's history that the third act, they rely too heavily on CGI. And usually it doesn't bother me. Usually I can just look past it because I know what these films are. but. Uh, when I saw the first, you know, first 70% of this movie yep. and really saw Chloe Zhao's vision shining through, I felt like that was kind of stripped away in the third act and it went back to that typical Mar Marvel formula and it wouldn't have bothered me as much if we didn't see that potential of, you know, Chloe Zhao's just beautiful mind and creativity in those first two thirds. Um, and so that, that's kind of, that was a, a bit of a letdown for me. And I'm not going to say it's the VFX artist's fault because we know that they can do, I mean, they're the best in the business. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's Chloe's fault because she's not used to working with right. heavy CGI. But I don't know if it's maybe just higher ups in the MCU, yep. some of the producers, if that's some that's an issue with them. Uh, I don't really know. But um, it didn't you know, have a huge negative effect on my viewing experience. But I had to mention it, of right. course. So. Right. And, and it does uh, stay through the credits, as always, within MCU. There's a mid-credit and an end-credit scene as well. Uh, and and the, uh, one, of the credit, one of the scenes has some pretty uh, bad CGI as well with a, uh, we'll just call him uh, the leprechaun. We'll just call him the leprechaun. Uh, any final thoughts or comments you want to share before you give your rating for uh, The Eternals? Uh, you mentioned uh, Ramin Jawadi's score. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite scores in the MCU. And uh, as always, we got to refer to Christian Jessup. So yes. very fascinated to hear his thoughts about the score whenever he gets around to watching it. But yeah, I'm going to give The Eternals a solid B plus. Okay. And um, you know, how common audiences and you know, general MCU fans are going to react to it, I'm not sure. But yeah. uh, that's something I'm going to keep an eye on. Yeah, and, and I'll make one more comment before my grade. There is one character that... Uh, uh, becomes this Bollywood movie star, and uh, you know, throughout the years, he is. It, it was. You, you'll see what happens, but uh, he's he's this this Bollywood movie star, and so he's kind of confided in his producer that he's an eternal. And so, uh, while the movie's going on, there's also a behind-the-scenes documentary happening, with his character kind of exploring and explaining what's going on. And that worked initially, but it really did get old after a while, and it, and it felt kind of cheesy and forced. It was really funny for the first five minutes, and yeah. then they just kept going back to it. And I was like, okay, it's time to wrap this little gimmick up. So. Yeah. Well, my rating for the Eternals is a B rating. Thomas gave it a B plus, so we can, uh, you can kind of see where we are. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break. We've, we've spent a lot of time on the Eternals uh, because it's, 
MCU. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. We'll take a break. Quick intermission right here. We're going to come back and talk about the Dune uh, and James Bond uh, right after this quick intermission on Meet Me at the Movies. Close your eyes. Give me your hand, darling. Do you feel my heart beating? Do you understand? my patients to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Vaccinations protect you from this serious disease. If you're trying to become pregnant now or plan to try in the future, you can get COVID-19 vaccines. Learn more at cdc.gov. Hi, I'm Jill Nolan, your host for Woman to Woman, a show that is about women and for women. Each month, we feature guests that highlight topics that focus on self-care, health, and well-being and a variety of other topics for women young and well-seasoned here in Cleveland County. Join us each month on Woman to Woman here at C19 TV, a broadcast service of Cleveland Community College. Cleveland Community College has identified strengthening online learning as the topic for its quality enhancement plan. We're calling it SOUL. SOUL's five-year implementation plan is focused on continuous improvement of online courses and promoting student success. We're excited for you to take this journey with us. Hello, welcome back to Meet Me at the Movies. Noel T. Manning II here, Thomas Manning there. We are talking cinema. Uh, before the break, we talked uh, about the Eternals uh, B-plus from Thomas B. Rating for me, the new MCU film. Uh, Dune uh, is a film that's been in theaters for a little bit of time. It's also a thinking person's film, Thomas. I don't know about a double feature between the Eternals and Dune, because Dune is not a popcorn Star Wars flick. It's more of a Shakespearean epic drama that just happens to have a backdrop, a sci-fi fantasy backdrop. Yeah, and I think elements of the mythology within Dune actually influenced George Lucas originally, because I think uh, Frank Herbert's novel preceded Star Wars, and Lucas took a lot of inspiration on that in uh, just developing this massive world, uh, but you know, exploring it through intimate eyes of characters um, and keeping it character-driven, character-focused. I thought it was beautifully shot. Uh, yeah. Some of these scenes, uh, it, it's not a film that you would want to watch on your iPad Nano. 
your iPod Nano. Let me say that one more time, your iPod Nano. You don't want to watch this film on that. Uh, you do want to watch it on a big screen if you possibly can, and that can be in your home or it can be at theaters. I, I'll let you kind of choose on that. It is beautifully shot. Uh, the sound design, um, the, um, the costumes, and the makeup. I think as we start talking about the Oscars, you may be looking at costumes and makeup for this film. Yeah, and you mentioned the cinematography, so uh, Greg Frazier is the DP on this, and uh, he's also going to be uh, doing cinematography for the new Batman film with Robert Pattinson, directed by Matt Reeves, and we just saw a trailer for that recently, and uh, if the, the cinematography in that trailer alone yeah. just oh, yeah. took my breath away, and um, he, he's having himself quite a year, um, and with, with Dune, just the things that are captured physically, um, so much of it is practical, you can tell. Um, just you, you can like, it's dune, it's about sand dunes. Right, right. <laughs> you, can, you can like feel the sand almost. Like, yeah. just I felt that connection with the environment, and it just like was something that put me right there in the midst of it all. Like, I mean, I didn't feel like my life was in danger like so many <laughs> of these characters did, but you know, I felt you know, almost like physical sensations just from, you know, the watching experience of it. Yeah, Anakin Skywalker would not have enjoyed being uh, on the set of Dune. Probably. Probably not. Yeah. I, I think uh, the production design uh, on this film, pretty solid as well. And production design, Thomas, is really fascinating now because it's so solid uh, that you sometimes cannot tell the difference between what is a practical and what is a digital set. Um, they have just done so well and come so far. And, and this film, Everything from a technical standpoint uh, for Dune really, really was incredibly solid. I thought the casting uh, was well done as well. Uh, Timothy Chalamet uh, is, is honestly, he's the star. He's the, the kind of core that uh, brings everything together. But you've got a lot of others on this cast, too, that are worth mentioning. Yeah, Rebecca Ferguson, who plays uh, the character of Paul, which is Chalamet's character, plays uh, Paul's mother. And she's, she's one of my favorite actresses. We know her from the Mission Impossible movies yeah. and from uh, Greatest Showman. Uh, just wherever she pops up, I'm, I'm there. I have Reminiscence seat. as well. Yeah, Reminiscence yeah. earlier this year. Uh, you know, also, you have Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Dave Bautista, Stellan Skarsgård in there in heavy prosthetics. Oh, yeah. He is, uh, it's pretty much. He looks like Jabba the Hutt, man. He really does, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, like a creepier version of Jabba the Hutt because <laughs> because he's like he's like half man, half half Hutt, and yeah. it's 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 an image that will stick with you for yes, a while. Yes, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, and then also um, Stephen McKinley Henderson, which he is a uh, he's a grad of North Carolina School of the Arts. Yes, and uh, so gotta mention him, give a shout out to him. He's he's a great character actor. I love whenever he appears in a project. Um, and you know, you mentioned. It's, it's not a popcorn flick. Uh, there may be two major action sequences, mm -hmm. but there are some of the most like just engrossing action sequences that I've ever seen just from a standpoint of what you see and what you hear and just you right. know, how it makes you feel like just in your chest. Oh, um, yeah. It's, you know, it's a, cinem it's a true cinematic experience, but I don't say that meaning that you have to see it in, in a movie theater because you actually watched it at home, and I yeah. think you had a great experience. Oh, yeah, well. absolutely. Yeah, I watched it uh, big screen TV. Thomas got a like a 3,000 inch screen last year for Christmas and it is pretty massive and so you feel like you're in a theater uh, with, with that. But yeah, I don't think you have to watch this in theaters, but I do think the larger the screen that you can access, um, the better you, probably your experience yeah. is gonna be. I, I wouldn't wanna watch it on my phone or a small laptop, but uh, you know, it's still, it's still worth checking out. Uh, Thomas, it's not a film though that I'm gonna go back to time and time and time again. 
And let's say, I'm gonna tell the audience this, this is part one, and that's one of the one of the big questions is they did not shoot part one and part two. So, you know, if the money isn't exactly what they hoped for, we may never see how this movie ends. Yeah, the good thing is based on, um, you know, box office opening, well, it actually opened internationally before it came over right. to the United States. and. Uh, it's at like 200 million plus worldwide so far. And considering we're still in the middle of the pandemic, those are numbers are looking right. for, and that's not even taking into account yeah. the HBO Max numbers. So it's right. looking like it's gonna make enough money for that sequel. Um, and I'm actually gonna disagree with you. This is one I do wanna watch over and over again. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, I, um, I've been meaning to go back and watch it when I have the time. I haven't had time for a second viewing yet, but uh, probably you know might go home and pop it on HBO Max, or I still wanna see it on IMAX as well. Right. But yeah, it actually is one that I'm going to return to. So why, to. let me ask you why. Um, just because, um, you know, so I actually had this note when I first watched it that, as far as films in my life that I've seen that just truly astounded me by their their scope, but also their uh, you know character-driven story. Right. I think of films like, of course, Star Wars original trilogy. Yeah. Then I think of Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Then I think of uh, The Matrix, Lord of the Rings tril trilogy, and then um, you know Terminator Judgment Day, yeah. Interstellar, those kind of things. Yeah. And I I would put Dune wow. in the category with those movies. Okay. And so that that's why uh, just the emotions that it stirs and just, um, you know, the feelings that it kind of it elicits. Um, that's why I would return to it time and time wow. again. Okay. But it's not going to be like that for everybody, and right. I understand that. Yeah. So. I, I do keep coming back to Shakespearean because that's what I felt the whole time as I was watching this when you're, you know, you're looking at uh, uh, the thirst for power, you're, you're looking at betrayal, you're looking at wars between, you know, whether it's nations or or clans or whatever, you know, uh, all of those things come into play and, and love and loyalty, all of those things I think about Shakespeare and all those were right there in Dune as well. Yeah, most certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm going to give Dune a solid A minus. Okay. Uh, that might go up based on rewatch. Uh, okay. So I don't know where you're sitting. Yeah, for it, me, I'm, I'm, I'm setting at a, a B uh, okay. as well, a B for this. I thought it was... Uh, was a good film uh, for what it was in so many ways, but uh, it is one that you, uh, again, have to invest your time, invest your mind. Uh, you really do have to think about this film. Dune, uh, now in theaters. Also still in theaters, uh, James Bond, No Time to Die. Daniel Craig uh, is back for his final, uh, final run uh, as James Bond. And I tell you, uh, I've, I've grown up watching James Bond and various people uh, performing and taking on that role. My first one was Live and Let Die uh, with Roger Moore and uh, went back and revisited the others as well. But Daniel Craig has become my favorite. And uh, a, a big part of that, I think, has to do with seeing a story and a story arc that continues from film to film to film. They build off of each other. They are all connected in one way or another. Doesn't mean you can't watch them out of order, but the connections do and can matter if you take the time uh, to be a part of this. Um, this film was just uh, absolutely crazy to watch on the big screen. I loved it uh, on so many different levels, except when uh, Thomas and I watched it and there was a, a woman not only uh, getting text and phone calls, but actually calling people back on her phone. That disturbed Thomas so much that he left his dad at the theater and came back and picked him up. I, I felt like a a teenager, a 12, 13-year-old waiting for my dad to pick me up 
at the front of the theater, and that did happen. Okay, I was really hoping you wouldn't bring that up, <laughs> but but in my defense, I had seen No Time to Die before. I saw it a few weeks ago, and actually, um, I reviewed it on a you know special audio podcast of Meet Me the Movies with Christian Jessup, friend of the show. And uh, we, we keep mentioning Christian on here, but uh, you know, that's because he just made such an impact while he was here. That's and, right. And we love him. Um, so, and Hans Zimmer but, did the music, and, and Christian got to work with Hans Zimmer. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, if you go back and listen to that episode, Christian does a really deep dive into Zimmer's music and why it might be his favorite Bond score. But, but anyway, yes, uh, that did happen. I did leave you, and I apologize for that. <laughs> but I, I was still there for the first hour, I would yes. say, of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the first hour of this, it's just absolutely, you know, just cracking from yeah. from the start. Yeah. Um, it, and I don't say that in a way that it wears you. Out. It does wear you out, but not in a bad way. Right. It, it exhausts. Right. It exhausts you, but it's just so dynamic and yeah. exciting from from the get go. Um, you know, there's there's a cold open. Um, it's truly a cold open because yes. it's in a winter because it's ha, cold. Yeah, I love sorry, it. Sorry, sorry, that's good. Puns. That's good. But then it moves from there into present day, and uh, that's. First action sequence is like within 20 minutes, and uh, it's just there's you saw from the trailers the the, the excuse me the bike bike chase through the yes. streets of Italy, yes. and um, then you have later on action set pieces with Ana de Armas who just pops up for 10 minutes, yeah. does does her job, and then then she's gone. But it's like I like seeing incredible talent like that that just kind of make a cameo appearance and then just make such an impact that you're thinking about them, even though it was only for 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah, this film, uh, it does, I think, everything that I, I know it did everything I wanted for a Bond film, but also everything that I wanted as we know that Daniel Craig is, is walking away. I, I thought it provided uh, incredible and realistic closure for the character. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, we had some, some other cast members that showed up, Rami Malek, Oscar winner, uh, who is the bad guy, one of the bad guys, the, the chief bad guy in this. That uh, if, you've watched it, if you've watched any of the trailers, I'm not giving anything away, but you know that there's something relating to, uh, a, a, you know, biological warfare. And, uh, and, and he's wanting to kind of reset the clock. I mean, he's wanting to be Thanos. Yeah, yeah. It's basically what he's wanting to do. And there's so much of, you know, yeah, it is biological warfare, and it's like microscopic um, biological warfare. And this was, you know, written, directed, and completed prior to the pandemic. Yes. Which is just so strange how many films we're looking back that were supposed to be released around that time. And it's like we had some sort of collective premonition that this yeah. was coming up, that this was yeah. uh, going to happen. And it's uh, just really interesting to look at that. This movie has great drama. It has amazing action. And uh, the character development uh, for the main characters uh, are there. And you get to uh, understand who they are, why they are, and what motivates them. And I think that's a difficult thing to do even for sometimes those supporting characters, but I felt it did, did such a solid job on that. Yeah, and we mentioned um, CGI is a major issue in some third acts of many blockbusters, but that's not the case no. here. Uh, this is one of the best looking blockbuster films that you'll see, uh, not the, not just this year, but really yeah. ever. Um, the craft and the photography and the lighting, the framing, uh, you just don't see it in a lot of big budget films like this. And uh, so I would compare it to the Mission Impossible franchise yeah. in that sense. Uh, so I just gotta give, Major shout out to uh, you know all the folks that went into crafting everything with just such precision and such care. You know, one of the first films to be delayed because of the pandemic, finally getting a chance to explore No Time to Die, and 
it was worth the wait. Yeah. It was worth the wait for me. Yeah, I don't think, I'm sorry, I don't think we even mentioned who the director was, but it's a, a director, Kerry Fukunaga, and uh, he's, he's very, very talented, and uh, he directed Pieces of No Nation. He directed the first season of True Detective, yeah. and um, his, his um, contributions to the James Gosh. Bond universe, uh, we're going to remember this one yeah. forever. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, Absolutely. major props to Kerry Fukunaga on that, and I'm going to give No Time to Die a solid A- as well. Okay, for me, a solid A rating. Uh, for no time to die uh, still in theaters. Well, Thomas, we don't have time to do any deep dives into anything else, but uh, uh, Halloween Kills is still in theaters, so you want to give a 30-minute take on uh, this Jamie Lee Curtis back in action again against her brother, Michael Myers. Uh, yeah, Halloween Kills, it's uh, just left a really bad taste in my mouth. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very just mean movie. Uh, I think with many uh, many horror stories, you can find some empathy at the core and some genuine heart and genuine emotion. And despite some attempts, that just did not come to fruition with Halloween Kills. Um, unless you're a major fan of the franchise, you can probably skip Halloween Kills. It didn't do it for me. Uh, I watched it with my sister, Catherine, and she was not a fan of it either. I've talked to a lot of people who felt the same way. So, yeah, uh, you can probably skip out on Halloween Kills. Solid, you know. C rating for that. C rating. Yeah. All right. Average, uh, average film for Halloween Kills. I uh, do appreciate everybody spending time with us right here on Meet, Meet Me the Movies. Noel T. Manning the second here. Thomas Manning there. Greg Tillman uh, keeping things going back there on Mission Control. I am going to leave you with a movie quote of the week. Uh, this does come from Dune. This is uh, uh, Duke Leto Atreides. Uh, there is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Until next time, that is a wrap.